Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Who here has had a bad day recently? Oh, okay. Most of you were honest. <laughs> now I want to ask it in maybe even a a more fundamental way. Who here recently has one of those days when the day is all over at the end, you just wished you had stayed home under the covers? I mean, a really bad day. Okay, all right, still about a third of you. I want to talk today about why those days happen, but more fundamentally, I want to talk about a little bit about where we're coming from that allows them to affect us so deeply. In fact, Pima Chodron, we're, we're using a new book this month by Pima Chodron. She says, it's the nature of being human that we will have such days. It's the quality of the divine as to how we react to them. So I think we're going to have some, uh, some fun today around that, hopefully. In fact, let me, uh, let me start with just a brief reading from this book. It's called The Places That Scare You. And I chose it this month for a couple reasons. Uh, one is it reflects a little bit of the Buddhist uh, tradition. And many of you may not know, but Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind, was an avid uh, studier of the Buddhist traditions and, and read extensively of Sri Aurobindo and some of the other Eastern traditions. And so um, this fits in, I think, well with what we believe. But the other reason that I wanted to choose it is it seems like there's a lot of negativity going on in the world right now. Uh, and this really, I think, addresses well some of the fears that we inherit uh, because of what's going on in the news, what's happening in the nation, and so on. Anyway, here's what she says in the introduction. She says, when I was about six years old, I received the essential bodhicitta teachings from an old woman sitting in the sun. I was walking by her house one day, feeling lonely, lousy, unloved, mad, kicking things. Laughingly, she said to me, little girl, don't you go letting life harden your heart. Right there, I received this pithy instruction. We can let the circumstances of our lives harden us so that we become increasingly resentful and afraid, or we can let them soften us and make us kinder, more compassionate, and more open to what scares us. We always have this choice. And so the book you'll discover, one of the fundamental places to start is this idea of what scares us and perhaps even should it. Um, another place to start though would be a joke. I found, a, I think, a, a funny story about fear. So thank you friends, to all my friends, Thanks to all of you who sent me chain letters in 2017. Because of your advice, this is what happened to me. I stopped drinking Coca-Cola after I found out it's good for removing toilet stains. I stopped going to the movies for fear of sitting on a needle infected with AIDS. I smell like a dog since I stopped using deodorants because they cause cancer. I don't leave my car in the parking lot anymore any, or any other place. And sometimes I even have to walk seven blocks for fear that someone will drug me with a perfume sample and try to rob me. I stopped eating tofu for fear that the hormones it contains may give me osteoporosis. When I go out, I don't look at anyone for fear that they will take my kidneys and leave me taking a nap in a bathtub full of ice. 
and I lost most of my money from the checks I wrote expecting the $15,000 that Microsoft was supposed to send me when I participated in their special email tracking program. These kind of sound familiar, don't they? Well, I would be angry at all of you, but my fortunes are about to change. A nice fellow from Nigeria will be sending me a check for $1,200,000 as soon as I can scrape together the money to help him get a passport. There's a lot to be fearful about, isn't there? And half of it's not even true. But nonetheless... Nonetheless, don't we feel that in our society today, that there is a lot to be fearful of? Well, Pima Chodron says that fear, we can actually break it into three, if you will, general ideas around it. And she recommends that we, first of all, identify where the fear is coming from in order for us to successfully combat it. So the first thing that she says is that it comes from our desire for stability, And when something threatens our stability, when change comes along, most of us react to that in a place of fear. And in fact, she goes on to say that for a lot of us, we spend a good deal of our time and attention trying to lock down, trying to control what happens. So if we get some area of our life working the way we like it, it's like we want to encase it in resin. We want to nail it down. Remember in the, in the 60s and 70s, they had that hairspray called Final Net? It's like we want to put the Final Net down on things when we get it settled the way we want it. We don't want it to move no matter how fast the wind blows. We want to lock down happiness. But I got to tell you, the more we try to lock things down, we're going to observe two things. First of all, it's impossible. It is impossible. The very nature of life itself is change. Whether it's our bodies changing as we get older, whether it's our careers changing as we move forward, whether it's our neighborhood changing as people move in and move out, right? Think of an area of your life that doesn't change. I dare you. A double dog dare you. It doesn't exist. Our life is in total flux. And then the other piece of it is, The more we dig in our heels trying to resist the change, the more painful it's going to feel, right? If we tend to take change okay, if we allow it in, if we should even be so bold as to welcome it now and then, then the resentment around it, the fuss about it, the energy spent trying to control it just isn't there. So if it's a given that change is going to come, One way to avoid the fear that comes with change is to have some equanimity around it, to say, well, life is going to change. Maybe I need to get on board with the change and participate in it. Rather than putting the brakes on, maybe I need to say, how can I be part of the change agent here? How can I use my science of mind principles around my thoughts become things to influence the change in a way that will be positive for me. What we do know in the science of mind is when I put the brakes in, when I'm resistant, when I'm angry, when I'm fearful, I can expect to see more of that in the world. And so the the very thought of combating change with negativity is apt to bring about more painful change. Whereas 
if we take it upon ourselves to approach change at least neutrally, then we can work on the change without actually acerbating the troublesome nature of it coming. And if we can be on board with it, if we can see ourselves as an influencer, a happy influencer of the change, we actually can expect good things to come from it. That's how we actually manage a change and ride it and bring good about with it. Uh, beyond change, though, this idea of impermanence, the other thing that we fear, and I'm going to have to talk about this a little bit, is the egolessness, as she calls it. And, and the way I translate that is our wanting to be validated from outside. We are afraid of our own selves. And because of that, we look at validation from outside. Now, a lot of you, I'm sure, see yourselves as being, you know, pretty, pretty self-directed, but, but think about it for a minute. Do you not have a reaction when people tell you uh, advice? Do you not see yourselves as trying to fit into certain socially acceptable norms? Do you not pay attention when your loved ones give you uh, feedback about how you look or how you act, right? We like to think that we stand in our own truth. We like to think that we're self-motivated, but nonetheless, most of us take our cues from society, from Madison Avenue and the advertising agencies, that we take our cues for what we think our parents told us about what it means to be a good mother or a good father. We, we look around and, and try to model ourselves around what our neighbors and family members and coworkers are. We judge ourselves largely based on other people. Think about this for a moment. We could be our own worst enemy, not because we're not created in the divine image of God, not because we don't have everything we need already from within. We're our own worst enemy because we don't listen to ourselves. We look for approval elsewhere. In fact, there's a whole set of, uh, of negative things that come from this idea of being validated from the outside. We take things too personally when they're not meant that way. We self-censor. We, we stop pursuing our dreams if other people tell us that they're unlikely or too difficult. We're people pleasers. We on purpose try to get people to like us, even people who perhaps don't have our best interest in mind. We have a fear of reject rejection. There's almost an addiction, if you will, to wanting to be favorably viewed by others and not nearly enough attention to seeing ourselves favorably. Well, I have the total secret of this one, and it's a quote from Wayne Dyer. He said, what other people think of me is none of my business. Right? Have you heard that one before? What other people think of me is none of my gosh darn business. And when I stick to that, when I stand in my own authentic power, when I can look in the mirror and say, yeah, that's all right. I don't need to have a six pack. Right? For the, for the women out there, I don't need to be a size zero or whatever they're squeezing gals into in the fashion industry anymore, right? I'm exactly okay 
the way I am. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't have aspirations for improvement. It doesn't mean that I may want to do some spiritual or even physical work on how I look or what I am, but I do it because of who I am. I do it because of what I want, not because of pictures and magazines, not because of what people tell me I ought to do. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a, a brief story. When I uh, first started here at, as, the, as the senior minister, I was a little nervous. I was a little apprehensive about thinking, well, will, will I be a good enough speaker? Will I? I, and I know it seems silly to be nervous about it, but I was, and I must have been sending out those vibes because people were so very, very free with their advice. <laughs> I still remember in the, there, there'd be a long line of people offering advice to me at the end of the service. I still remember this one woman, in fact, I'm in terrible violation today. She said, really, two buttons undone? Are you sure that that's the message you wanna give to people? And I thought, what message is that? <laughs> And I remember another gentleman said, you know, a certain amount of respect would come forward if you wore a tie. And I'm like, what? <laughs> right? And, and so, so when we are out to please people, if there is some doubt about our own authentic worth, the universe will r rush in to give you advice, right? And it's advice for other people. See, see, that's the thing. The woman who thought that two buttons was too much, she's a one-button kind of person, and it would have been perfect for her. And the gentleman who thought I might be more professional or, or something if I wore a tie, it would be perfect if he was up here and had a tie on. But do you see that when we're at the mercy of other people's ideas we lose sight of who we are authentically. We lose sight of the gift that we each get to bring that can only be done by us, that is unique and can only be done the way that we would do something, the gift that we would have to give. And so truly, what, people, what other people think of me, it's best that it's none of my business. Now, that, that, again, doesn't mean that I don't have improvements to make. Uh, you know, I'm not talking from a position of, uh, you know, being the best. Uh, there are always uh, improvements to be made. But they're my improvements. They're not your improvements. They're not society's improvements. And so to counteract this fear of being viewed poorly from outside, in some ways it's easy. We give it up. What you think about me is entirely your deal. And I will attempt my very best to return the favor, not to be in judgment over you. And when we can make that little bargain, oh my gosh, the world goes so very, very well. The idea of asking what love would do is suddenly present in the room because we're not judging ourselves based on what other people think and I'm not judging you on how you show up. It's simply us as divine creatures authentically in the room in love and in peace. The final piece uh, or the final source that she says is, uh, is a source of fear is dissatisfaction with the outside world. And think about this one for a minute. A lot of times we associate ourselves, almost define ourselves, 
by the things and the people in our lives. And you'll notice this uh, uh, when people go through life changes and they'll say things like, well, I just don't really know who I'll be when I'm retired, right? They have such an attachment, such an association with themselves in a certain position. Or when people maybe, uh, maybe when people who've had a large family and a large house and the kids are gone and one of the relatives says, well, have you thought about downsizing? I'm surprised you can keep up this big house. And you get that look of terror. Like, who would I be without this big house? This is where I raised my kids. This is my identity in this old house, right? When we're in those positions, do you see how fragile we are? Again, we're defining who we are by what we have. We're defining our value by the possessions we have, the neighborhood that we live in, the kind of car we drive, the, um, I don't know, the, our job titles, all of those kinds of things. And it's not that those things didn't bring us pleasure. It's not that those things didn't have their benefits, but they don't define us. There will come a time when we don't have that job anymore I don't want to be lost when I'm not the minister anymore. There will come a time when the, the car gets wrecked or is too old. I don't want to be defined by the fact that, oh, poor Larry, he doesn't drive anymore, right? Do you see where I'm going with this? When we define ourselves on the outside rather than the inside, misery will come sooner or later. Now, how do we mitigate this one? Again, in some ways, it's back to the idea of our authentic power. When we know our inner capabilities of being lovable, of loving, when we know inwardly that we are beautiful, when all of those divine qualities of God are at work on the inside of us, do you see how the outside of what happens and how we look and the possessions that we have begin fading into the background? Now, it isn't that they go away. We are spiritual beings having a human experience, absolutely. And in that human experience, of course, we want to live comfortably. We want to have friends and family members. We want to enjoy ourselves and experience happiness. And, and when we look on that positive side of life, we can experience all of those things. And what I know is they're not defined by other people. They're not defined by the things we have. And they're also not defined by things or ways that have change built into them. There is something essential in each one of us that defies change, defies the, the outer organization of things, defies what we have. In, in a sense, it is that that inward divinity, that, that part of you that really was made in God's image, and I don't mean how we look on the outside, but that spark of the divine that we're given at birth, or probably before birth, that exists in each one of us, that is each one of us, where everything else is like clothing. The body, it's like a fancy clothing. Our, our house, uh, not an extension of us, just stuff. And when we get back to basics, when we know that internally and in our own heart, we are enough, we're lovable, we're capable, we're successful. When that is our inward vision, then when things happen on the outside, it's like, well, that's weird. But we don't take it personally. We just say, wow, what was that about? What was she thinking? 
Do you, do you know what I mean? Rather than saying, rather than worrying about the two buttons, right? It would have just been like, well, that's interesting. I wonder what her deal is, right? When something bad comes your way, you just say, well, gosh, it happened. It doesn't define me. It doesn't say that I'm less than because someone is handing me something that's less than. It doesn't say I'm a failure if one of my businesses experiences a failure. What Pima Chodron really says is the important takeaway from this part of the book is that fear and faith are really the same thing. And we can stand in fear of every little thing that happens to us, either view it as bad or the potential of bad coming, or the promise of bad, or at least an unfavorable comparison. I could have wished that it would have been better, <laughs> right? We can make that choice of going with fear, or we can flip it and observe the same things happening, the same composition of our lives, and head at it from a position of faith. What a blessing this is going to be when it's finished. What hope this change might bring about. I know that the universe is always for me, so this too shall pass. Do you see the difference? One is confidence in yourself and in the universe as being a pleasant place. The other one is defining your own self by other people's expectations and being in fear of what might happen. Now, Ernest Holmes has something, the founder of Science of Mind, has something interesting to say. Let me quote. He says, should we learn to contemplate those things which are desirable and to forget the rest, we would soon overcome fear through faith. Both are mental. Let us learn to reverse the thoughts of fear and transmute them into faith. And so that's what we're going to be doing this month. Now, I know that this sounds difficult, and in some ways we're maybe not used to it, right? When was the last time someone, you maybe had that miserable day and you kind of wished you had just stayed home under the covers? When was the last time someone came up and just said, well, just change your mind about it? How would you have reacted? Maybe not so favorably, like, like, like you would have stood up then and said, well, mind your own P's and Q's, I could be miserable if I want to, right? We're not used to the idea that literally we can make a different choice in our own heart. We can present, be presented with something negative and just say, oh, wow, oops, let's, let's start planning on something better next time. We're not used to that. We're used to internalizing it. We're used to saying, what did I do? How do I need to improve myself? Rather than simply choosing to have a different thought about it, of reframing it into something that has more potential. Or moving on with it, just saying, well, okay, that happened. Next. So this month we're going to be discovering the idea of some of the places that scare you and what we can do about it. To recap around how we can mitigate these three primary fears, first of all, when we get an unwelcome change, how can we turn it into an opportunity? How can we participate in the change rather than digging our heels in and making ourselves miserable around it? Second one, when someone says or we observe something negative about ourselves from the outside, 
when we do an unwelcome comparison or someone uh, gives us friendly advice that basically says, you know, you're an idiot or whatever it is, we can choose to simply ignore it. We can choose it if at most just as a reminder to go within and say, is this my deal or is this their deal? Is this really how I should be or is that how Madison Avenue would want us to buy our products, right? Instead of comparing to the outside, if there's a comparison, it's between you and your higher wisdom self. Where would you like to be headed spiritually? What is it that you want to express more of in your life? And then finally, when we become dissatisfied with our things or over-attached to our things, can we choose differently? Can we more lightly have our attachment to people and things on the planet so that when they go away, when grandmother's china set is finally broken and, and no longer available, can we just go, oh, that's okay. I can remember grandma whenever I want. I don't need her china to do that, right? When can we begin holding more lightly onto the things and people in our lives, knowing that they will change, knowing that they may be there or they may not be there? And what's important? Is it the things or is it the people? Is it the actuality of it or is it how we feel about it, our experience of it? No one can take that away from us. Well, I'm going to leave you with a, a final quote and just a bit of homework. Now, this homework is maybe a little more difficult than I usually uh, give out. So, you know, you get a free pass if it seems overwhelming because we'll be back to it next week and the week after and most of this month. The homework is, what is some, the source of what you're fearing right now? So almost all of you raised your hand saying that you had a, a bad day recently. It means for you to have a bad day recently that there is something that you were afraid of. And it may just have been afraid that it would continue or afraid that you weren't up to it, right? But I know that there was some fear involved or you would not have had a bad day. And so I'd like you to look at that fear that's going on in your life right now for those three elements. Is it fear of impermanence, right? You want to lock things down. Things are changing and you hate it. Is it fear of how you measure up to other people, other people's opinions, the world in general? Is it a comparison to outside? Or is it fear and dissatisfaction with the things in your life? Is that what's producing it? So, so do a bit of analysis. And then the question is, can you begin making a plan for mitigating those fears? I gave you some ideas this week. We'll have some more ideas next week. But what can you begin doing that will mitigate those fears and begin building up our inner resilience, our inner ability to have equanimity and acceptance of our lives just as they come? Pima Chodron said the facts of life are that we will have trouble in our lives. As long as there is more than one person on the planet, you will have some trouble entering into your life, right? It's the nature of us to bring our individualities, our different values, different ways of thinking, different ways of bringing. It always produces friction. We're always going to have some things coming our way that are unwanted uh, or unwelcome. And it's all about how we maintain our way of thinking and being, sailing through, if you will, 
into greater happiness and greater love. All right, uh, final quote and a prayer. She says, when I begin to doubt that I have what it takes to stay present with impermanence, egolessness, and suffering, it uplifts me to remember this cheerful reminder. There is no cure for hot and cold. (laughs) It uplifts me to remember this reminder. There is no cure for hot and cold. There is no cure for the simple facts of life. This teaching on the three marks of existence and fear can motivate us to stop struggling against the very nature of reality itself. We can stop harming others and ourselves in our efforts to escape the alternation of pleasure and pain. We can relax and be fully present for our rich lives. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. And what I know about this thing is that it is everything. It is the pleasure and the pain. It is the full experience of life itself, sending us every day the possibility for a new experience. This is the nature of God. And because I'm a part of that, because I recognize my own inner divinity, I am easily able to let go of my attachment to the things of the world. I can easily ignore other people's opinions of myself. I can easily weather through change and the impermanence of things. It is my nature to be whole entirely by myself, that that divine presence of God working through me and as me just by itself is enough. And as it is true for me, I claim and know and believe that it is true for each person within the hearing of my voice and beyond that all of humanity has the capability of recognizing this inner divine nature, that all of us can look within and see everything that's needed, that there is love, there is life, there is joy, there is peace, there are all of the experiences that we wish to claim and more. And when we are willing to let go of some of these common sources of fear, our life improves. When we begin seeing things on the bright side instead of on the fearful side, when we begin applying the faith that we have in the universe at being a good place and God being benevolent, our life dramatically changes. And so for this, for this I am so grateful I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us/donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. 
Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living. 